Hi, and welcome to yet another episode of Queer Not Here, where we're sharing the stories of LGBTQ Malaysians who've migrated away from Malaysia. My name is Nez, and this episode I speak to Raz, a trans woman living in Melbourne, Australia. Raz tells me about what it was like transitioning in Malaysia and how it's been for her joining the Australian Navy since moving there. She also has a batik dress business called Brava Batik, and you can check them out on Instagram. Content warning for transphobia and intimate partner violence. Thank you for listening. Okay, wait, before we start, uh, I just want to know a few things. Do you want to uh, be anonymous or are you okay using your name? Uh, you, yeah, I'm okay using by? my name. Raz is fine. Okay. Uh, yeah. How about your location? Yeah, you can just say Melbourne. Okay, cool. Uh, how do you identify? I identify as a trans female. Okay. Uh, what were you saying, Teddy? You haven't seen your mom in so long. Oh, no, yeah. It's, you know, because of all these COVID restrictions, now I haven't actually seen my mom for two years. Usually I try to go out, like to go back to Malaysia at least once a year. But mm. I haven't seen her for two years, so so we've just been having video calls. That's all. <laughs> oh, you're quite close it's with your mom. It's the same like, hair. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. let's go back to when did you leave? Actually, I left Malaysia um, in March 2019. During the at the start, I actually moved. Moved to Australia in 2004. Right. To study. Yeah. And then I came back for a few years in 2016 until 2019. And then, then I moved to um, back to Australia. So, so, okay. So the first time you came back to Malaysia, you just finished your studies. And did you want to come back to Malaysia? Well, I didn't actually want to come back to Malaysia. My partner then, he got a job in Malaysia. Mm. Then I thought, um, yeah, okay, maybe I'll come back to Malaysia and see how it is, you know. Mm. And then, yeah, so I did. I followed him. And, yeah, that, that's how I, I decided to move back because otherwise I was actually quite comfortable in Sydney. Mm. And how was it like adjusting back home? It was hard. Um, I think it's important to make note that when I moved back, I had actually haven't started my transition. So Craig and I, oh. we were just a year couple. Um, yeah, so I thought it was okay. Yeah, I tried to look for a job. And then at the same time, um, because I've actually decided to start my transition before I moved back. But then I haven't actually started it then. And I think I had a discussion with Craig and then it's just something we actually hadn't resolved then. Mm. Um, and then I think when we moved there and then he did a lot of trouble for his work. And then, then I just decided maybe I should just like go for it. Yeah, and then I did that. And then I tried to look for a job at the same time. It was, it was actually hard. It's just, especially presenting female mm. in Malaysia and to look for a chef job. Yeah, it was quite difficult. Was it a big concern for you that you were transitioning, transitioning in Malaysia? Yeah, to be honest, I didn't know any mm. difference. It's just I thought the time was right for me. Right. And I was ready and I think I met a few trans women there in, in a way because when I was in Sydney, I didn't know any trans person. Oh. So I didn't have the exposure or I didn't know how accessible. <laughs> but I just didn't know anyone that would actually tell me a lot of information, you know. I just didn't know where to start. And yeah, when I was in Malaysia, then I met a few friends. And so I'm talking to them and they just make me like, I don't know, give me courage to actually do to do it, yeah. 
how was your like relationship with family and things like that at the time? Moving back, it was actually difficult because prior to moving back, I think like a few months before moving back, my I think I had like a I think it was a Pride Month or something, and I put up a rainbow flag on my Facebook, and one of my brothers asked me why am I supporting. You know, right, man, and I'm like um, because I'm gay, so I just sort of like outed myself, and because to be honest, I assumed they knew, because mm. I, my dad, and I had been with my partner for, I think, was ten years. Oh wow! Yeah, I've always brought brought him back every time I visit Malaysia, and you know, my family knows him well, and then mm. we stay at my mom's place. We sit in the same bed. We have like one room, just us two, and I just assume like people know, but so everyone just like play coy and silly, and they just like pretended to be shocked, and then I'm like, oh wow, okay, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I am gay. Craig is my partner, and it's just I figured it's just something that maybe they're not comfortable asking. So I thought they just like to leave things in the you know gray, you know nothing. They they don't want to know the black and white. And but then when I that came out, and then everyone was so shocked. And then and then after that, most of my siblings just sort of like send me a lot of messages, lecturing me, and yeah. So then I, it was really stressful, and then I didn't speak to them until I actually moved back. Hmm. Yeah, and then I think a few months after that, I came to you know accept my true gender, and then see because I had a bit of a struggle first. I was a bit in, I was in denial about my transgender identity, being in a gay relationship. I think I was scared to actually tell, even tell my partner then, you know, because, mm. because I knew somehow it would jeopardize the relationship. Mm. And yeah, and then moved back, and I decided to do that, and then. I came to realization that you know I um I don't think my family is gonna be happy either way you know yeah to be honest when I realized that I was trans I actually had this suppressed childhood memory that came back to me things that I did when I was a kid you know um but then I encountered a lot of problems because I didn't lead in an enabling and supportive parent so it was just I thought it was easier for me just to blend in. For for me at that time, I think at least if I just look like a man, I can still like push through, you know, just get a normal education. Yeah, so I I did that, and then my family was uh, shocked. I mean, I had a chat with my mom too, and yeah, and then she wasn't really, I don't know, she didn't understand, and she knew I was with my partner Craig Dan for like. Ten years, and then she's like, "So what happened with you and Craig?" And I'm like, "Um, we split up because he's not attracted to women." And then she, my mom, casually asked me, "So you don't want to change back?" Oh wow! I'm like, uh, "I'm like, mom, you know, this is me. You know, when I was a kid, I thought I was a girl." <laughs> and she's like, "Oh, okay." And then that's it. And then that was the end of it. Actually, it was quite easy. And then. After a couple of years, I think she was starting to warm warm up to the idea. Yeah, and now we just—I think she never actually questioned me about why I am the way I am. Why am I me? You know. So, yeah, but my other siblings so far actually haven't—I had like a sister that I was really close to, which is like one year younger than me. Even then, and then I think she didn't really like me going to transition. It's sad because um we were really close and yeah one day she just I was babysitting her daughter in my apartment and then she came to pick her daughters up and then she's like so when when are you gonna change like when is it gonna I'm like well this is me and you actually know as well uh, yeah and then she's like she said I have my belief and you know in my in my religion um there's no such thing as gay or Trend. Yeah, and one thing that really hurt me the most was she said she's like Muslim first, and then right. after that she's my sister. And I'm like, oh, well, okay, thank you. <laughs> yeah, so 
Yeah, and then after that, I haven't spoken to her since, I don't know, it's been three years, four years now. The rest of my sibling, I pretty much just talk to them when I see them or when I have to talk to them. Otherwise, we don't really communicate. Do you think there was a big difference between like coming out as a gay man and coming out as trans to them? I think definitely, yeah, there is. Um, I think like as a gay person, sometimes you don't even have to come out, mm. you know? Because it's what you do in your bedroom. You know, it's more sexuality. Um, but I didn't have a choice after my transition. So I didn't have to tell them. And then they can just like sort of point it out to me, you know. And at least as a gay, per- like as a gay person, you can see your situation, you know. I think you can, you can make your own decision how far you want to tell people. Yeah. So I think that's the difference. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I remember when you were back home. So you weren't home for that long, Poon. It was about three years, right? Yeah. But I remember you were quite active in those three years. You were like everywhere. You opened a new business. You had that whole Nobu case. Like you had a busy yeah. three years. Yeah, <laughs> actually. Um, because I decided, um, I mean, it's really heartbreaking after I started my transition and to actually really face discrimination on a daily basis. So that pretty much what fueled that fire, you know, to go join mm. up and to, you know, really spark a change. Mm. Yeah, before that, I admit I was not very educated or to be honest, just like didn't really care because it didn't affect me then. But mm. then once it affected me, I thought, um, yeah, I really need to... Actually, I mean, from my point of view, I mean, I, to be honest, I just want to make my family realize as well that everyone else, you know, we, we, just, we just want the same quality of life as, you know, other Malaysians and other people, you know. Side note. So the Nobu case that I mentioned concerning Raz was that she applied for a job as a chef there at Nobu in KL. And the interview went really well for the most part until the end where they questioned her gender expression. Raz told them that that's who she is, she's a professional and it has nothing to do with the job. They called her a few days later and offered her the job, but with the condition that she had to align her gender expression with her IC, so she had to wear the men's uniform and use the men's bathroom. Even though they were quite persistent and asked her to think it over, she declined the job. Subsequently, she lodged a report with the Human Rights Commission, Suhakam, but they were also unsure how to deal with the issue and kept misgendering Raz. She got frustrated and wrote a post on Facebook, which then got picked up and a whole story got published in The Guardian. And only then did Nobu start to act. Then Nobu had made contact with uh, Human Rights Commission, because Human Rights Commission then... So after that, then they replied... Um, oh, actually, they sent like a very dismissive... They said it's a non-issue because they said our company policy, we don't discriminate and they show us a, show me a photo of their staff uniform, which is unisex, but clearly not. The female and male staff, um, the uniform were different. And I'm like, it's clearly not. And But anyway, and then later on, I found out that Suhakam has misrepresented my case. Oh no, God. <laughs> yeah, and the way Suhakam worded that there's this person who is a male complaining that you were telling him to dress up as male <laughs> and then i'm like what in the <laughs> i think they were confused that the staff i don't think they were trained you know people of diverse gender and then i actually had to go there and then i contacted um Hilaga about it and they by then, Suhakam, I think Nobu had arranged a meeting with me and Suhakam to clear out the issue. And then I brought a journalist friend with me as well. And then, yeah, at the meeting, they brought their lawyer. Wow. <laughs> so it was more like, oh, I don't know, like, why didn't lawyers? But anyway, they tried to just, like, like this, my accusation, just say that they were always been inclusive in the hiring policy. And then that... I mean, it comes down to that they blame the person, the lady who actually made that offer to me. And they said, uh, she, yeah, she no, no longer works for them. Yeah. 
so he came down to that and then they're like and then they were adamant that the company has always been inclusive that was, it. was that it was that the end of it yeah and actually they did make a promise to actually make sure it never happened in the future which is i think it's something good at least you know like come out of that mm. yeah they did ask me do, do i still want the job and by then it has been a year since the case opened up then i'm like i moved on thank you very much <laughs> <laughs> so then what led to your decision to move back to australia it was really hard to find a job in malaysia to transfer in like even i mean especially as someone i mean i just started my transition then you know even the typical industry wouldn't hire me you know because i didn't necessarily pass that you know so um to be honest with me every day you go out it's a challenge you know you go to the shopkeeper shopkeeper misgender you for the fun of it you know just to make fun you feel like you're helpless like you don't have rights and you know so that i think a big decision why because i have my family there but then they weren't that supportive so i thought i should just go back and yeah just find a better job and leave a better quality life and another factor was that that me and my ex then we decided that yeah we just decided to let each other go because we had been after my transition we actually tried to make it work but then you know it well, i mean i understand i mean he's a gay man and it's not attractive to women so i thought hey i think if we just keep trying we're probably just going to end up being resentful to each other and maybe we're going to end up really hating each other you know where we we were actually like really like a really good couple we were a good team so i thought maybe we should just let each other go and you find your happiness and find mine and we'll still be friends and yeah he remains one of my you know closest support biggest support so yeah then yeah then i moved to melbourne so was it hard to move back to australia then before i moved back to malaysia i already got my permanent residency oh okay yeah so for me i mean i was lucky at least you know life in malaysia didn't turn out as i planned or you know it's not all rainbow and unicorns and i thought um at least i have the choice to you know move back so yeah in terms of visa it was easy for me because i have had work experience in malaysia it was easy it's just a matter of buying flight ticket and decided where to go in australia where to settle in australia yeah how did that um affect your relationship with folks back home like deciding to move away i think my mom especially i think she's used to me being away beforehand so i she understand she said to me life here is not kind to you so if you can find a better life there you should go yeah so yeah my mom was very understanding um most of my sibling uh, my older sister yeah she was quite supportive as well yeah she said to me yeah malaysia is like very difficult <laughs> so yeah and i think everyone thing is the best it's the best move for me to actually move back yeah how many siblings do you have actually sounds like a lot of you i have like 11 oh wow <laughs> <laughs> yeah i am number i come number 5 and i must have like more than a dozen nieces and nephews the my nieces and nephews sometimes they would confuse what to call me and you know and sometimes some of them ask me are you a boy or a girl and i just tell them what do you think and then they're like a girl but then then the parents in to them they're like oh just call call him uncle and i i said to them you know you can just tell them just to call me by name it, you know in a way it is my name is more than a neutral you know and that happened sometimes i just feel like uh, constantly i have to explain myself 
So um, yeah, I think that's one of the reason why I don't talk to them that often. Mm. It's just that I think when we have like a conversation, you know, at the end of the day, it will lead to them be questioning me, questioning my life, questioning my decision. And it's the same as well. I try to avoid coming back for Raya because I just didn't want to see all the matches and like find <laughs> like distant relatives that just have no parts in my life and don't know me. Yeah, and I sometimes like, like it, uh, one of my brother once after my transition asked me, when are you going to find a girl and get married? I'm like, I'm like, look at me. <laughs> are you the only queer one out of all your siblings? Well, I think... I think one of them like openly came out to me, but then I think she had a reason not to fully come out. And and it's just hard because when you're in Malaysia, if you're a woman and then you have seven brothers, you know. So back then my my dad was alive, she only had one dad, but now my dad passed away and now she has seven dads telling him what to do. So, <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I, I don't want to tell who is who, but I know. But what, to be honest, it doesn't matter to me as long as they're happy. I mean, when they, I've always been supportive. When they come to my place, I always said, my home is where you can be yourself. Mm. Don't, you know, just wear what you wear. Yeah, so I've always been supportive in that way. Then again, I... I understand where they at sometimes. So yeah, to me it's it's up to them what how how much they want to reveal to the rest of the family. But yeah, they hush hush usually. They don't like they're not as open as me. Yeah, I'm very vocal and I don't know, I think it's just I have always been that way. So. <laughs> yeah. Um do you feel safer and more secure where you are? Um, yeah, definitely do. Yeah, it when it feels more home for me because I live most of my adult life here as a gay individual then and also as trans person now. And yeah, definitely I I feel safe right here. I mean, I do. I mean, there are some rough area, but it's the same in any country. So generally, yeah. And I feel my rights protected and I feel like if I want to apply for this job, I would be able to, you know, without people actually trying to tell me to present myself differently. Um, actually coming back to moving back to Australia as well, I was feeling a little bit nervous because I didn't know. I mean, I know at the end of the day, law the laws are there to protect everyone. But then in terms of social acceptance, I wasn't sure that much because like I said, um, being gay wasn't like such a big deal in Australia. Yeah, I was a bit nervous to be honest. Um, but people are very nice, very supportive at work as well. Um, yeah, it's, everyone has been great actually. Um, applying the job with the name. Maybe as well was um, quite nerve-wracking as well because they are, I think they didn't have a good track record, but they are improving. You're talking about the Navy? Yeah. So why did you decide to join the Navy? Korea, to be honest. Um, Korea is one thing and financial is quite good. Actually, There's a lot of perks. I mean, I'm doing a trade here. I mean, at my age, I'm 36, and a lot of people are from, you know, straight out of high school and join this, and I can't afford, I mean, I was, I studied engineering before, but then I was young, I was distracted with life, so I sort of like, I just did the degree to go out of Malaysia. Right. I didn't really think it, like, far ahead, I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll do it. Um, yeah, when I moved back to, when I started my own business then in Malaysia, I realized that I, 
I felt a bit out of depth in terms of leadership skill and management skill. So I was thinking of going back to study in Australia, but then when I moved to Australia, I mean, studying and working full time is really difficult. And I cannot, I couldn't afford to work part time and study because I still have to pay bill and rent. So then I came across Navy website and they pretty much get you to do a trade and then they pay you a salary. So I thought oh, that's a good deal. What's the trade you're doing? Uh, electronic technician. Nice. Yeah. So because when I was working as a chef, I fell out of debt and. After a few, after 10 years, I figured that it wasn't a challenge for me anymore. I needed to do more. And I knew I can do it because I did the engineering degree before. It's just in terms of I felt I haven't actually reached my full potential. That after a while, I think cooking comes with the muscle memory. I don't have to think so much. And I feel like, I'm not going to feel dumb. <laughs> so... That's why I thought, okay, maybe I need to really stimulate my brain in a positive way. So, yeah, Navy. I mean, I could have joined Navy as a chef, but then it would be doing the same thing again. And then after a while, we'll get bored. So, yeah. yeah so, what's their, um, what's their kind of trans policy like? Were you nervous? I mean, because I, um, I imagine it's quite a macho culture. I don't know. Uh, actually, it's been good. I think that I think they had an inquiry regarding to the treatment towards the sexuality minority group and gender diverse people. But then after that, they really trying to change. Um, so far, I can only speak for the Navy because this is my experience. I mean, not for them. My experience in there, in here. Yeah, personally, I think it's. I'm just treated like any other, you know, member, which is, you know, what you're here for, for your skill and to learn something and, you know, pretty much everything comes down to you. Like, why do you, what do you identify? You know, who do you identify as? And yeah, I mean, it was quite easy for me to apply. It's just that I think they need to put more resources together some, somewhere for you know, LGBTIQ plus people to assess the information easily mm-hmm. because I think they, on their website, their inclusivity and diversity touch like majority, like mostly on the cultural religion basis, not so much of a sexual or gender diverse people. So, yeah, I think they have like maybe like a section which would be good, but. They, um, I mean, in saying that, they do actually have a, a person in charge of diversity and it's all like very focused to gender diverse group as well. And she had been in contact with me and trying to ask me about sharing my experience and then see if there's anything that she can improve in the future. And because um, I was actually the first transgender female that goes through the recruit school here oh wow congratulations yeah they have <laughs> yeah they had transgender member but they they started they undergone like underwent their transition while they were serving yeah in a way the recruit school where uh, they didn't have like a proper policy for trans person um I mean, me being there actually, in a way, helped them to see where they can improve in the future. And I was quite vocal too. And when I went there and they had like my name, I, I changed my name and gender legally before I joined in. And yeah, I can see sometimes they like get the name mixed up and yeah, things like that. And I just pointed out to them. And then it was, you know, they gladly just, you know, amended for me. So it was, was easy. Look at you trailblazing everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and just trying my life. I mean, I mean, for me, at the end of the day, I always thought like the law is on my side. You know, I cannot do that in Malaysia then, you know? Yeah. It makes such a big difference. Yeah. Can... yeah. Are you friends with any other Malaysians there? Um, yeah. 
I have uh, two friends that I hang out with, like on very like very frequently. With um, yeah, they they're from Malaysia. They they've been here for a while, so they work as I think both of them are doctors. We have Raya Kukau, and yeah, it's it's good. Is that something you look for? Like something you need to have other Malaysians around you? Yeah, actually, I do. Um, I mean, in terms of um, you know, we're Malaysian. We bonded by food, so <laughs> that always bring us together. Yeah, sometimes we have like discussion, and because they work as a GP, both of them work as a doctor. They also ask about my experience as a trans person. I think one of them, she worked in a prison before. Yeah, and she said she did have like transgender patient there, but she didn't know enough to actually. She just did what was prescribed, you know, what was her previous prescribed. So just what, yeah. So in a way, yeah, I think I do need it's that familiarity, you know, with people and and you know they know a lot of story that is relatable to them to me as well. So yeah, mm-hmm. I. I think probably yeah I have another another friend who I went to university with her. he he's in Melbourne now so we we catch up sometimes as well. Yeah. Do you ever get like nervous if you meet a Malaysian you don't know and you're not sure kind of where they stand? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. Sometimes when I go in public transport, I can hear people. I mean, a group of people speaking Malay. And yeah, I get nervous. There's this a restaurant in Melbourne actually. I actually call them to make a booking. And I usually in Australia, the only time I get misgendered is when I speak on the phone because people can't see me. Which I said about, but usually people when I want to correct them, they just apologize and you know correct themselves. So. Um, yeah, I was talking to I'm pretty sure it was a Malay guy, and then he's like. Ah, he called me Mister, and I said it's me, and then he just laughed. <laughs> oh, no, it sort of like make me nervous. If we go to the restaurant, I said to my friend, um, I don't know, like I told him to call me Miss, and then he laughed, and then my friend like just ignore him. So yeah, sometimes like I'm a, not like afraid of you. I just didn't want to have like a mood spoiler, you know. When I, I to be honest, I didn't want to expose myself. Mm-hmm. And you know, it could lead to a you know nice day going to so I mean from my experience in Malaysia. So yeah, I do. I do feel nervous, like where because I don't know where they stand in terms of being accepting. Other things about where you are now that you wish we had in Malaysia. It's just like an open mind, to be honest. It's just taking people. As a person, you know, like a whole package, not just judging them harshly on what they look like. In Malaysia, sometimes it's it's just like there's a big culture on you know thinking too much about what other people think of you. And I think with my family, it reflects that as well. You know, it's just like what the neighbor would say, what you know other people would say, instead of you know just truly be who you are and you know, not care about what other people think about you. Yeah, I wish they have that freedom. That's not what I wish that they have. I think they probably have a better life, happier in life, and you know, yeah. Are there things about Malaysia that you wish you had there um, besides food? <laughs> yeah, I would just say food. Um, <laughs> my family. I mean, I wish my mom's here. Mm. Um. My friends are here, and I wish that it's like just easy for my friends to come here. You know, like I mean, one thing that I really miss about being here, uh, my, you know, the I when I was uh, when I started my transition, I met a lot of trans friends, and you know, they've been we were really close. Yeah, I wish they were here, and they actually have what I have here. You know, they can live freely, and. You know, a few of them had to resort to sex work, and you know, and I don't think they they don't enjoy doing it. They only do it to survive. And 
I wish like they're here and they can actually have what I have at this, you know, just reach their full potential, you know. Um, how big is your Malaysian identity a part of you there? I think it portrays in the top of that I usually make when I host people. And also, occasionally, I wear Malaysian like batik. And I have that batik dress business that once in a while I will like put it on. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it makes me happy when people actually are curious about it and ask me about the prints and, you know, yeah, it makes me proud. I really love your stuff. Are you still doing it? Um, I have... I have it with a company. I mean, I wish I had more time because I have like a few ideas, but it's just that with study, it's hard for me to juggle. I have like a website where I put my dress in and they help me sell. But I would love to actually in the future just make my own budget print. That'd be awesome. Yeah, I will I will get there. But I'm just trying to find way. I think once I Yeah, I think once I'm more settled and have my own place, I think I can start doing that again. But in the meantime, I have some leftover dresses from before and then I'm just trying to, you know, push that. Do you keep up with news back home? Sometimes I do, but sometimes it just makes me stress. <laughs> yeah, faham. Yeah, and that's like, I don't think the politics there are very stable now there's a lot of changes happening within you know short amount of time and it's hard to keep up I pretty much just read what the trending you know what people are what people most talk about so yeah and things that I heard from my friends yeah do you think you'll ever come back to Malaysia like move back uh yeah one day I will I still have like unfinished business in Malaysia because <laughs> um, I actually had this idea of before I was actually thinking that but then you know I didn't have enough capital to start anything like that. I was, was thinking of a cooking school in Malaysia mm. where I can actually be inclusive you know and in a way I was thinking I had cooking school um, with shelter home as well and providing jobs to the community as well and pretty much open up the community to meet other people like Malaysian or non-Malaysian to actually see that they just there, they live their culture and you know. I was thinking about something like that but yeah one day I want to realize that. That's a great idea. Yeah because I remember I had a walk in Pataling up Chinatown in KL and I saw there's actually a lot of potential there and I thought I can open up make culture and actually open up the issue of the minority people you know just not show them the culture the beauty the color you know the color the food but the, also the people including the marginalized group as well mm. I think that would be a good way to actually learn about the culture, about the country. That's awesome. Yeah, I think maybe I will. But it has to, I don't know. One thing about that is actually to have the support from, I don't know, government, not government, like in terms of, because I don't want my, if I have a staff who identify as transgender women, I don't want them to be arrested, you know. For turning up to work, hmm. I don't want to. I also don't want to, you know, face trouble from council or you know. So, yeah, I think it's something that I can actually look at because actually in KL it's not so bad. But then, but then again, you see news about ducking and that is hunting like a certain business person. So it kind of makes me scared a little bit because that could happen if someone have got deep on me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Last two questions. What do you wish for the Malaysian LGBT community? In the long term, I wish they just, you know, have the same right as everyone else. They get to be themselves. They get to have partner. They get to have family. You know, just a normal life. Just reach for their dreams, you know. Um, 
instead, yeah, I think that's what I wish for them, like for things to change um, so that they don't have to go to migrate out of the country to, you know, have a quality life. That would be better. Some of the other folks I interviewed mentioned that they felt guilt for leaving. Do you feel that way? I do. Especially when I look, when I talk to my, you know, girlfriends, um, especially the trans friends, you know, and with the MPO affecting them as well. And, you know, some of them doing sex work to survive, but with MPO, I didn't think you can do that. And, and then they had to solely rely on government support. I don't know how much they're getting, but then getting government support, that means you have to, in a way, compromise your identity and use all these, like, you know, identity, um, official document identity and have to, you know, face up to, yeah, it's harsh. Um, yeah, we shouldn't have to do that, you know. How is it for you when you, when you got to change your gender markers and all that? How did that feel? It was, it felt so great. You know why? It felt really easy. I did it and I had appointment with my endocrinologist and she just wrote a letter. She said, okay, you just bring this to passport office bring your old passport and they just change it to you for free and then I went to the office and no questions asked you know it was so easy and I'm like wow really <laughs> yeah it was it was that easy and and then the rest is just like after me like how far I mean I I can even change my transit my birth certificate it's just Malaysian but then they have like a replacement wine that just it's a copy that I can actually change the name and the gender marker here as well so that I don't have to keep showing people my original birth certificate even for Medicare even for I mean I still haven't gotten around to it yeah like changing the name of my qualification so yeah I mean it's quite easy it's I'm, I'm really I'm really surprised yeah to be honest, not all first world countries like that. Even in the US, some of the folks there, you know, they they can't even use female toilet or male toilet, you know, or use wherever bathroom that they identify with. I think Malaysia, well, since I've left, I just think it's just going backwards. So it really makes me sad. And yeah, in terms of, I mean, like I said, like I was lucky. I get to just, Oh, it doesn't work here, so bye, you know. But not a lot of people have that luxury. In a way, I feel guilty for looking up for myself. But I don't know, maybe one day I'll go back there and fight along and, you know, trying to make a change again. Yeah. Actually, I, w- I want to ask you about when you, when you first went to Australia to study. How was that? Like, Sydney is such a gay capital. Was it? What was that experience like? Oh, it was actually... Remember I told you when I did the degree and then I struggled because I got distracted. Yeah, I got distracted by life. (laughs) By the (laughs) best gay life. (laughs) 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 And then I I met my partner, I think, second year when I was there, 2005. and, And then I was in love and, you know, just distracted with life and new culture, so much freedom. So, yeah, I was more excited about that than the actual studies. I mean, it was just a ticket to me. But, yeah, it was amazing. It felt amazing. And it's funny, you know, what, one thing that I noticed when I actually started to love myself more. One thing, I think the standard of beauty in Malaysia is very different than here. And when I came here, everyone wants to be 10. So, you know, I get to like, oh, actually, it's not so bad, you know. I mean, not saying that discrimination doesn't happen here, it does, but it's a very, you know, I mean, very small amount. You don't, it's something that only if you go in a more secluded area that you will face, you know. But yeah, it was amazing. I, it was very different. I think living as a gay man then, I do find that there's this prejudice and discrimination towards gay Asians as well. How we are 
always associate as being you know the sam type or the mm. bottom yeah i felt i certainly felt that um i mean in a way it's accept, accepting but then you also have discrimination within the group as well mm. yeah which is sad but i think it's slowly changing i think uh, australia just legalized the same-sex marriage it changed a lot for people in terms of like family law and stuff Yeah. Is that something you'd like to do? Get married? Yeah. I mean, I'd like to. I like to like find someone and settle down, but I think but that's not like my first priority will probably my first would be just, just my career and something probably building myself and have that security blanket for myself if relationship happen it happen. Since moving back, I had like two boyfriends, and one of the boyfriend like treated me really bad. So, yeah, it was. I actually had like to get intervention order against. <laughs> so it was oh shit, really, that's it was, bad. Yeah, yeah, I had to go to the police, and yeah, it was bad. He's just like stalking me, and oh, we were living together, and he kicked me out of the house like during COVID time last year. Yeah, I had to like call up my friend, find a new place, like in a you know in an instant. And then he kept hold of all my stuff, and it was including my laptop, my phone, and he changed all the passwords. Go on. Were the police helpful? The police weren't that helpful at first. Mm. I had to go out and call the domestic violence helpline. Give them my case number where the police station is to get them to push the police to do something about it. And yeah, it came to a point where I think there were intimate images and videos of me being posted in front side. Fuck. So, yeah, it was really stressful. It was stressful, and the person he knew I was applying for Navy as well, so he was actually threatening me with that. Fuck! I'm so sorry. That's awful. Yeah, it was it was hard, but I'm glad. I mean, to be honest, the intervention order still hasn't been finalized. I still have to appear to court next oh, month. Oh really? I'm a bit like uh, nervous. I mean, it's been a year. Uh, to be honest, I just wanted to move on. Mm. But but it's something that I have to do. You know, I just can't let him. Like, I mean, it's in a way the intervention order is like a protect protection blanket for me. Yeah, crazy, huh? I mean, at that time, I mean, it was like a boyfriend. Right after I split up with Craig, I mean, my you know breakup with Craig was as good as breakup goes. You know, it was really amicable, and we still stayed friends. And then on the other side, I had this like really another side of the extreme. Mm. Yeah, I was really, <laughs> I was really scared. I lost a lot of weight from that, and Damn. I lost a lot of sleep as well. So, yeah. Gary. Was was the domestic domestic violence unit were they gender sensitive and all that? Yeah, yeah, because they said um, I mean they have this statistic and they said transgender individual are more prone to domestic violence because I don't know why, but they say it's more prone. But usually, I mean I speak to a lot of other trans women as well. Um, somehow we tend to attract the bad. Guys or people who are not really honest with themselves and with us. So, so in a way, there's still stigma about being trans mm. in the larger community that you're gold digger or you do sex work and things like that. But yeah, gender sensitive. Yeah, they are. They are very. They. I think it's one of the first questions they ask. How I identify myself, and, and because I think they have another specialized group that actually handle domestic violence in the community, mm. in the trans community. So I think it's good. I mean, at least they can give a more specific need, help and need. Yeah. Okay. Last question. Do yeah. you have any sounds that remind <laughs> you of home? You know what? It's the masjid the early in the morning. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
because my mom's house is just like 100 meters from the master and you had no choice you always have to wake up early because you always start the recital really early so actually when i i mean there are sometimes when i go to different suburbs in melbourne and you know how sometimes in australia they have like different group of ethnicity in you know all ended up in my suburb. sometimes when i go sometimes when i cook for my malay friend i would go up to that area and buy halal meat to serve my friend and then sometimes you heard this recital and i think it just always reminded me of home somehow yeah 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 it's funny <laughs> yeah i know i do i do love the azan for that reason also yeah yeah you know it's funny that i have a mixed feeling about it i i remember my friend was talking to me about it and he said he felt calm listening to that but i said for me it sounds a bit depressing to hear that because i'm like shit i have to get up and because it reminds me i went to boarding school in malaysia and every time when you hear that you know like, like it's time to you know go out and pray and I just sort of did it because I had to do and I did it really quickly too. You know, it's very half-hearted because you don't believe in it and you only do it because you're also. Mm. You know, so it, I actually associate that sound with that. Thank you so much. It's been really That's great okay. to catch up. Like, yeah, it was. Yeah, I know. It's been a while. I know, I know. I was so... I was, I was actually getting... Um, I mean, I really enjoyed getting to know you when you were here and then suddenly yeah. you up and left. So I was like, oh, but yeah. I mean, I was happy. I was happy for you, but like also like, yeah, uh, we lost the vocal one. Yeah, oh, it's good. It's good to actually, I mean, we met before in one of the events where I never had the chance to actually sit down and talk. You know? Yeah, it's so, true. Yeah, yeah. Very, well, all right. Well, I'll let you go to your stuff and then thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for this. Bye, Raz. Thanks for listening to this episode of Queer Not Here. If you'd like to give me feedback or are curious about anything discussed in this episode, do write to me at queernothere at gmail.com or hit me up on Instagram at queer.nothere. Thanks for listening.